0: What's the worst part about breaking four tackles and running into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown? Not having your wayfarer still with you to protect your eyes from all the flashbulbs. Sounders, keep your shades anchored and where they belong during life's greatest feats. Head to soundergoods.com and use promo code KTTC to get 10% off and free shipping with any order.
1: You're listening to the Keef to the
0: City Podcast. here's Neil Keefe. All right so it's December the holiday season is upon us and uh, here in New York uh, there's no football to look forward to if you're a Giants fan like myself or if you're a Jets fan uh, there's usually not football to look forward to at this time anyway so you're used to that. Now I'm a little nervous that there might not be baseball to look forward to either with the way the Yankees are handling the offseason as things unfold around them and uh, here to talk some baseball with me today, some football as well as John Jastrzemski. Uh, you can hear him on WFAN and CBS Sports Radio, JJ After Dark. John, it's been a while.
1: Neil, yes it has. I hope the holiday season is treating you well, and I'm going to apologize for everybody out there. My voice sounds a little hoarse or <laughs> sounds a little more rugged than usual, but I am in the midst of celebrating a uh, Dolphins victory out of Stadium yesterday.
0: Well, for you, I guess, uh, before we get into the baseball, you know, that was almost uh, a Dolphins disaster, and I I only watched the game here and there because, um, you know, I I didn't really have any, uh, you know, monetary investment in it, and uh, it's the Dolphins and the Jets, so it didn't really matter to me, I just, I figured the Dolphins were going to roll them, and when I saw Dolphins, uh, you know, by seven. I just figured that was that was a little too low. Obviously, uh, it wasn't low enough, and the Dolphins barely escaped the Jets. If the Dolphins lose that game, that's got to be like in your lifetime for the Dolphins, like at least the top five, top five maybe loss?
1: I don't know if it would have compared to last year, Neil, in the sense that if the Dolphins would have beat the Jets in Week 17 it would have been a surefire, no-doubt, playoff team. So I would say last year was up there as one of the worst losses in the history of my time of being a Dolphins fan. I'll never forget 2002, the last game of the year up in Foxborough, and then the Jets ended up beating the Packers 41-0. Dolphins fought 11.5 minutes ago. Those are two that really stand out. But, yeah, it definitely would have been on the list, no question about it. And it doesn't have to be pretty. The Dolphins lost three games this year. They easily could have won Green Bay. At Denver, at Detroit. So it all evens out, I guess you could say. And now the Dolphins seven to five. it's the playoffs ended today, which unfortunately if the playoffs were to start today, unfortunately it did not, Dolphins would be in the playoffs, they gotta win three of the next four. They win three of the next four, you Neil, know, they're going back to the postseason.
0: It's still always weird to me when we talk football because your passion for the Dolphins is like the Yankees and for someone who loves the Yankees, you know, loves the Knicks, the Rangers, is from New York. Uh, from this area where everyone's either a Giants or Jets fan, and then you've got some Bills in the mix, and then, of course, you've got the scummy Eagles and Cowboys fans here and there. But for you to be the Dolphins fan, even though we've talked about it and you being a Dolphins fan your whole life, you know, countless times, it still always, you know, confuses me when we talk because it just seems so nuts about your love for the other New York sports teams, and then here you are going nuts about the Dolphins every year.
1: Hey, listen, Neil, I was not alone because if you were at a Midlife Stadium on Monday night, you can attest to this. I would say the crowd was easily a 50-50 split. Now, there were a boatload boatload of empty seats. Uh, I think it's fair to say there were good seats available. Last night, I had met life. But there were a lot of Dolphins fans in the Tri-State area. And from my advantage, Cormier, I'm sorry. I don't want to grow up rooting for Dave Brown and Danny Canal <laughs> And the coat-type Jets weren't doing it for me as a seven-year-old. Now, if I could do it over again, would I take your two Super Bowl championships and run with it? Yeah, I probably would. But... For the first time in a long time, I would say it's a lot better being a Dolphins fan in 2014 than it is being a Jets or a Giants fan. And I like it that way. Well,
0: for when it comes to football now with the Giants done, um, to me I feel like the Cowboys are going to fade here. Uh, the Eagles, I, I don't really you know, see them doing much even uh, as they get into the postseason, whether it's Sanchez or Foles. Um, and the Jets obviously are done. So that leaves the Patriots as the teams that I can't see, like I physically can't see them winning because I don't want to see them winning. And for you now, I'm on the Dolphins' bandwagon. I mean, I'm on any team's bandwagon that has a chance to derail uh, the Patriots ending this 10-year drought of Super Bowl wins. So if the Dolphins can get in, you know, maybe they match up against them, maybe they see them at some point, and they're going to see them again here down the stretch in the regular season. So that's going to be a big game in – in determining that the Patriots don't get home field advantage because I feel like whoever has it for that AFC Championship game is going to be in the Super Bowl.
1: No doubt. Now The Dolphins do match up well with New England. They beat them in the first matchup of the year. They beat them the end of the last regular season back in week number 15. And they match up because they can exploit the Patriots defensively. They're able to run the football. And you look at the Miami pass rush. Cameron Wake and Audrick and Vernon have given the Patriots offensive line fits, but as you know, this is a much different looking New England team. They're much better in the secondary. Blount, Jonas Gray, chamberlain they got a nice little three-headed monster running the football. Neil, I don't expect to win that game two weeks in Foxborough against the Pats. Expecting to sweep the Patriots, something the Dolphins haven't done in about 14 years, would be asking a whole heck of a lot. So I'll fine for splitting the next two between Baltimore and New England, Baltimore at home, New England on the road, and then I hope that maybe the Dolphins, by some grace of God, are playing a rubber match maybe in the divisional round against New England. I'll sign for making that trip, and I'll go on record of saying, Neil, <laughs> if indeed the Dolphins go back to Foxborough, not in week 15, but if they go up there in the divisional round, yours truly will be in the building. No <laughs> well, that's,
0: that's not a good sight because it gets real cold up there, and I don't see the Dolphins coming out alive, so you're going to be... I mean, the ticket prices are going to be a lot. You're going to be freezing. You're probably going to see the Dolphins get like routed, or it's just gonna. I wouldn't. I don't think you should do that.
1: Well, we'll see if it happens. I'm telling you right now, if indeed my team wins the playoff game for the first time in what 14 years, I may be a little giddy, and I may actually be a little bit adventurous and decide to make the trip.
0: Well, the crazy thing right now for the Dolphins is that seven and five. There's six teams in the conference at seven and five, so it's like. It's just like tiebreaker crazy because you look at the tiebreaker scenarios and everyone every team has like a paragraph written next to them about why they you know break the tie with the team underneath them. And the AFC is just an absolute shit show right now.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And listen, you look at it, the Dolphins beat San Diego, advantage to them. Kansas City beat Miami, so Kansas City has that advantage. Um, you look at Pittsburgh and Kansas City playing each other down the line, that's a big game. This week, Miami and Baltimore, you want to talk about a juicy matchup with wild card ramifications. The winner of this game is going to be 8-5, and five and they're going to be in really good shape. Loser are going to be on the outside looking in. And what works well for Miami, Neil, is the fact that they have a really good conference record. Because when you get into these three-way, four-way, five-way ties, that's usually the best way to break it, having that really good conference record. So if the Dolphins go 3-1, take care of the Ravens. Take care of the Jets and then win against the Minnesota Vikings, your girlfriend's team. And I'll tell you, if the Vikings ever beat the Dolphins on the road in week sixteen, I may be very upset with your girlfriend. I'm just throwing that out there. We'll put that on record. But get to three and one, get me into the playoffs, and I'll be a very, very happy guy. It'll be a very Merry Christmas for me, you Let's just put it that way.
0: <laughs> well, when you look back at this season, I mean seven and five. Um, would you sign up for that like September first? Would you say seven and five, you sign up for that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would have signed for 7 and 5. Now, to be honest, I think the Dolphins have played better than the 7 and 5 record. Yeah, I mean, well,
0: that's It's probably
1: going surprising. They've played better. You look at every one of their wins, you know, with the exception of the Jet game, every single one has been by double digits. They have really dominated some teams and some of the losses, which is painful. The Green Bay one, uh, we mentioned the Denver one, the Detroit, Detroit one. I hope these aren't games that you're kicking yourself about at the end of the year, but. Usually the law of averages works itself out, and hopefully it will for the Dolphins.
0: Well, yeah, that was good. that was what I was going to say, is that when you look at these games like Green Bay, like Detroit, uh, you know, three-point loss, four-point loss, the three-point loss to Denver, a game they could have won. Uh, I mean, they could be in much, much better shape than they currently are. And and really that Green Bay one, just, um, you know, watching that last drive unfold, that, that's the one that really comes to mind because, even if you if you take the loss at Denver, which is a game you probably assume you're going to lose anyway, and the Detroit game is a tough one as well, but the home one against Green Bay, when Green Bay wasn't exactly who they are now, um, they were still trying to find themselves as a team, and you had that lead going to that final drive. I mean, that's the one that if you end up missing the playoffs on a tie breaking scenario or by one game, that's the one that's going to hurt. No
1: doubt. Although you go back to that drive, that's just the best quarterback in the sport doing his thing, man. I think we can debate any of these guys, and there's some great quarterbacks in the league. You know, you look at Brady, still playing at a high level. Manning, still playing at a high level. I think Andrew Luck is certainly on the up and up. But if you're giving me one quarterback for this year, one quarterback for the next five years, give me Aaron Rodgers any day of the week, and you've seen him put on quite a show this year. And I think Sunday's performance against uh, against New England is the one that you're going to look at when Aaron Rodgers wins the MVP award. You're going to say, "Wow, that's why he got the award this year." So. Yeah, it's a game that's going to bother me, but at the end of the day, at least it was the MVP of the league doing it for
0: me. Well, that's fair. And uh, when it comes to quarterbacks and, and your quarterback, at Tannehill, and it seemed like before this season, this was the year. I know you had mentioned it, like this was the time he had to finally step up, and he he had his you know his adjustment period, transition period in the league, and it was time for him to sort of step up and take over. And he's really done that. And, you know, I've been surprised. Um, I never really knew you know what he was or what he'd become, but. At seven and five, they're not you know an elite team in this league, and they're not a shoo-in for a postseason spot or anything. You know, they're not set to be a contender for the next decade or anything like that. But he stepped in, you know, stepped in, stepped up nicely, and uh, he's a guy that you certainly can trust to win you a game.
1: Yeah, listen, Ryan Town played very well for the Dolphins this year. I've been very happy with his progression. Clearly, does not have the best deep ball in the world. It is not his strength as a quarterback, but the accuracy has been great. Look, he's completing close to, what, 67%, 68% of his passes. You'll love to see that. And what I like about him, Neal, is he can move around. He's athletic. He's utilized that read option well. He can throw on the run. And for the first time in a long time, I was like the Miami Dolphins have done with the quarterback position.
0: Well, uh we sort of started this um, backwards because what I was going to get to is the fact that, you know, you have a football season. I don't have a football season, and part of that to blame is uh, – or at least the blame is going to come down on someone the next few weeks. And for you, because you have an objective view to this, you're not a Giants fan, um, you know, what what they do it doesn't really matter to you. And for someone who has to talk about it, obviously, for your job, uh, Tom Coughlin, I mean, is he going to survive this last uh, four games of the season?
1: No, I don't think so, Neil. And here's the thing. I don't think this is Tom Coughlin's fault. I, I don't think he got – I don't think he became dumb overnight. I don't think he'd go from being a two-time Super Bowl champion head coach to a guy who can't win a game or coach uh, coaches way out of the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But you look at it, this roster stinks. The offensive line is <laughs> abominable. The defensive line is atrocious. Terry Fields' adjustments in some of these games leave a lot to be desired. So you look at it, do the Giants have 9, 10, 11 win talent? No. The answer to that question is very simple. So, if you're going to put the onus on Tom Coughlin, which it appears the Giants are going to do, I think we'd be very surprised at this point if Tom Coughlin's back here come 2015 as his team's head coach. So if Tom Coughlin's going to get the yes, axe and he's going to be held responsible, to me, Jerry Reese deserves equal playing because he put this roster together that has been an absolute nightmare. So to me, if I'm John Mara and I'm looking at this situation, Despite the fact that both of these guys won two Super Bowls together, I am not just getting rid of Tom Coughlin. I'm getting rid of Jerry Reese as well.
0: I agree, and I feel like um, just because Coughlin's the guy, the face you see, the name everyone knows, not everybody you know who doesn't know the Giants knows who Jerry Reese is. So he's the one that's going to take the fall, and that's the way it always is. But you look at what what the you know the state of this team. They've got a lot of you know young guys on the line uh, on the offensive line. They've got Eli who's you know, getting into his mid thirties, um, who's certainly still the quarterback for at least the next, you know, four or five years or whatever or whatever they decide to do there. And then you've got, you know, an offensive coordinator who's in his first year who's not tied to Coughlin uh, the way that Gilbride was, and, and you've got few on the defensive side who is, I guess, semi-tied to him now because he's been there the last few years. It just seems like everyone's not on the Giants wouldn't it be good. Maybe they thought they'd be better than they are, but they thought at least you had to think maybe they don't make the playoffs, what do we do with Coughlin? So what happens with McAdoo? It just seems like there's so many, it's so complicated because usually you just fire the coach and everyone on the staff squad too, but in this case, you know, no one's tied to each other and maybe that's been their problem all along and, and why the team isn't on the same page it has been in the past years.
1: I think that's a great point. For example, you know with the Jets, everybody's out the door. All the coordinators are out the door. The quarterback's out the door. The head coach, the general manager. There's no way anybody's surviving the mess that is the 2-10 New York Jets. Giants is a little bit different. You look at Eli Manning this year, Neil. and I was one of his harshest critics going back to last year. I thought he played terrible football. I thought he was one of the main reasons why the Giants had a losing record. This year, I actually think the new offensive system has really helped Eli Manning. Look at his completion percentage. Look at his numbers. Look at the amount of turnovers and the way they've decreased here in 2014. I think Ben McAdoo's system has helped Eli Manning, unfortunately, the results for the Giants as a team haven't been there. They're 3-8 football team, So nobody's going to be singing the praises of the offense coordinator. Nobody's going to be singing the praises of anybody, nor should they. But it's a tricky predicament to be in. Now, as far as where the Giants go from here, if they go out there, let's say, and bring in a defensive-minded head coach, I, I don't know who the name may be. I, I couldn't tell you the name. I don't know what the mayors are thinking. But if they bring in a defensive-minded head coach or a head coach who has a background on that side of the ball Maybe you look to see Ben McAdoo remain as offensive coordinator and see that head coach come in and really focus on what needs to be done defensively. Now, if they go out there and bring in a new offensive head coach, I don't know, like Jim Harbaugh, for example. I'm not saying Harbaugh's coming to the Giants, because I think that would be a weird fit. Knowing Harbaugh's personality doesn't exactly look like a giant prototypical head coach as far as I'm concerned. Very good coach. could coach to me any day of the week, but just because of his fiery, in-your-face personality. I, I just don't see that going along well with John Marron and company. But let's say they bring him in. His background's on offense. He's going to want to do his thing. He's going to want to bring in his own staff. So I can't go into this head coaching search, if indeed the Giants are going in a different direction, and making Ben McAdoo a prerequisite to remain as the offensive coordinator. If it happens, great. But I wouldn't force it upon my next coach. coach I don't think it's a fair way to go about in business.
0: No, I agree. And I feel like that's, you know, like you said, if they bring in a new guy with the prerequisite that he has to be the guy. Um, I mean, if you're getting a head coaching job, you want your guys because, you know, if things go well or don't go well, you're going to want to, you know, have that connection there. And it's almost like if, if McAdoo stays as the offensive coordinator for a new coach you're in the same situation you're in now because Coughlin didn't want to make a change he didn't want a guy he didn't know he didn't want someone he can't trust or hasn't trusted in the past so it's almost like you're repeating the cycle and unless things go you know amazingly well and the Giants you know become a contender again become the team they were the la- you know a few years ago then you know you're leaving yourself open to maybe you have to make another change now and it just seems like they're going to get caught up in this terrible cycle that they probably should have never been in to begin with and uh and as much as I hated you know Gilbride and I gave you know him as much shit as anyone when it comes to you know him or Girardi or when Tortorella was here anyone you know that's you know stepped foot in 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 New York's uh, coaching role the last few years but maybe he should have at least stayed for this year because you look at the team now, and it would have been a lot easier to just get rid of all three of them, whereas now you could get rid of anywhere from one, two, three, to none of them.
1: Yeah, I can understand that, but also look at it, Neil. I think the Giants need a new voice offensively, and I know Tom Coffin has his hand, tied to the offense. He's an offensive coach. He's involved with the game playing, the scheming, and all that sort of stuff. But I think if you thing, if a new way of looking at things, and a new interview mind was not the worst thing in the world for the Giants. And I think the play of Elon Musk backs up the point that they needed a new voice there. They needed a little bit of a tweaking of the system. Unfortunately, I also just think this comes down to a simple personnel or lack thereof type problem. The Giants are just not where they need to be on both lines, offensive line, defensive line. Killing this football team, and I think it's the main reason why they're 3-8. So we can make it about doing this all sorts of some um, lack to do way keeping the codes, bringing the offensive coordinator, this, that. The other thing, they didn't do a proper job of fixing both of these lines. They can't get after the quarterback. They can't protect the quarterback. Simple as that. Tough to winning this league when you can't do those two things.
0: Well, there's one thing that's been brought up, and that's the idea that McAdoo could become the next head coach, which would just be odd because you know outside of this year this is his first time as a coordinator so now he would be going from you know the quarterback's coach to the head offensive coordinator to a head coach in a three-year span and now you know that just seems kind of ridiculous that would be like you know being in congress for one term then the senate then the president which obviously isn't you know on you know unbelievable but it just seems like unless he's going to become the head, next head coach which is you know, open to discussion. I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with that because I don't know, you know, outside of this one year, uh, managing an entire team just seems a little far fetched, but that must obviously be on the table if they brought him in for this one year knowing that Coughlin could be out next year.
1: Yeah, Neil, that would be like a Barack Obama ride to present presidency from Ben McAdoo, but I don't think Ben McAdoo is gonna have a yes we can slogan at the end <laughs> of each and every speech. So yeah, that would be a little bit bizarre. If the Giants had a better year this season, I could have seen a scenario where McAdoo was the head coach and waiting. But with the way this season is going, I think that would be a really tough sell to their fans. To me, if I'm looking for a head coach, which I think the Giants are going to be doing at the end of the year, I'm not looking for a retread either. I don't want to hear the name John Gruden. I don't want to hear the name Bill Cala for this reason. Look historically in the NFL. Coaches who have won a Super Bowl usually do not get back And win. In fact, no coach has won a Super Bowl, gone to another team, and then gone out there and won another Super Bowl. Mike Holmgren came close. Bill Parcells came close. But you see a lot of these coaches fail when they get back into the mix. So if I'm the Giants, what I would be looking at, some of the hot college coaches who are ready to make the jump to the NFL, or I'm trying to find that next Mike Tomlin, or I'm trying to find that next Mike McCorky, a guy who's paid his dues, who's waited his turn, and then gets an opportunity as a coordinator to become the head guy, and he's ready to go.
0: I agree, and I think the only thing, you know, if McAdoo say they do make him the head coach and he's awesome at it, well, at least you have a young guy who who, who is the future of the team, but, I mean, there's a better chance, as with any head coaching job, that the person's not going to work out well. So, uh, I mean, going into it, if you want to make him or you think he's a head coach material down the line, then I think you have to go with your original thought, which is to keep him as the offensive coordinator, make that a prerequisite, make sure the new coach is on board with that, and then maybe in a few years he finally gets a shot.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And the one mistake Giant fans have got to avoid here as you move forward here in the final four weeks of this season and as you get ready for the offseason, you cannot expect the next coach to have anywhere close to the qualifications Tom Coughlin had with the two Super Bowl rings. It's going to be nearly impossible to fill the shoes of Tom Coughlin. For example, the next coach that comes in here, to expect him to go out there and win two Super Bowls, it's just unfair to do. It's very similar to what Joe Girardi walked into when Joe Torre left, where Joe Torre won four World Series championships. The guy never missed the postseason. So Girardi's resume after that, it's just going to pale in comparison because Torre was so prolific as a winner, much like Coughlin, so prolific as a winner. So you're not going to be able to replace Tom Coughlin. You just hope that you find the guy down the line who can get the Giants into this new era. And clearly, you Neil, know, I think you've seen it now over the last couple of weeks. It's time for a new era of Giants football.
0: Well, because it's a new era, there is no more Giants football this season. There hasn't really been the last few weeks um, that Colts' loss after the bye pretty much you know sealed it. Uh, then the loss to the Seahawks certainly sealed it for good. And now, John, I'm a little nervous with the way things are going here the last month or so that I might not have a baseball season to look forward to either. We might be looking at a three-peat here of bad Yankees years if uh, things don't change you know, in the next couple of weeks with free agency.
1: Well, let me ask you, Neil, because clearly the Yankees were not going to go out there and really bolster the offense just because they have so many contracts tied in. Right? They weren't going to bring in an outfield that have a gluttony outfield. They weren't going to go out there and sign Pablo Sandoval with A Rod probably coming back. And I think there's a good chance they bring back Chase Headley to play third base. So clearly, I didn't expect the Yankees to go after Sandoval. It didn't bother me. Did you want them to go after Henry Ramirez? Did you want them to go after a big pitcher? Like, I'm curious, because of this roster being the way that it is, what was your plan? What did you want to see Cashman do here in the offseason?
0: Well, I think. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things here. One is they have to get, I feel like you have to have Lester Scherzer. You have to get another pitcher. The arms they have, you know, while good when they're healthy, they, they might have the best rotation in all of baseball. If you told me everyone would stay healthy and make it all their starts, and you have Pineda, you have Tanaka, if CC was really himself, if Nova comes back and he was great, I mean, they have a strong, strong rotation. The problem is every single pitcher they have has injury question marks just from this past season, tied to them. So that's an issue. And when it comes to the offense, for as bad as the offense was last year, um, you know, it was as bad. It might have been worse than it was the year before when they had Overbay and Wells and Ichiro. Oh, it was.
1: Neil, there's no debate. It was worse than it was <laughs> and, in and, 2013. And that's saying something.
0: Yeah, I mean, they had Hafner and Overbay and, and Wells, row. That was like their 3, 4, 5, 6 most of the season. Um, so, you know, the way baseball is right now, maybe there's not a way to instantly upgrade your offense and. And pitching is certainly the name of the game. And if that's the case, then you have a chance still to go get one of these two guys. And the numbers I've seen tied to Lester aren't that outrageous of what it's going to take. They've given a lot more to a lot worse pitchers uh, in the last, you know, 12, 13, 14 seasons. But what gets me is that when you look at the Red Sox, and if the Yankees had gone out and gotten Sandoval and Hanley, then everybody would say it's the same old Yankees making their stupid mistakes and they're signing contracts they'll, they'll regret in a few years. And the Red Sox, you know, probably... They might regret those contracts in in four or five years, but the thing is, they have those contracts for only four and five years. They got Hanley on four years, 88 million with that vesting for a fifth year. They got Pablo on five years. And why don't we? Why don't the Yankees do that? We have Ellsbury for seven years. We went out, you know, we got Teixeira with his crazy seven-year deal. They got CC. He opted out. They gave him more years. A Rod's thing was ten years. So it's like all these other teams. They don't regret their deals because no one gets these crazy ass deals where you're getting. I mean, Jacoby Ellsbury in six years, what is he going to be? I mean, this year, he wasn't. It was one of his worst years, and it was his first year. And granted, he didn't have support and help around him and protection, but I'm tired of people saying, you know, he was the only consistent Yankee. He wasn't even that good this year for the money they're giving him. It just seems like the Yankees are in a no win situation because if they went out and sign the two deals that the Red Sox did, they would have got killed for it, saying that they're going to regret those down the line, whereas everyone's praising the Red Sox for upgrading their offense. But to the same point, to the Red Sox credit, they got those deals for about half the years. The Yankees probably would have signed them for it. And when these contracts do come off the books, they'll be in a better place when they lose to Shara and Sabathia and Arod. But that's not for a few years, and waiting a few more years to get back to where they were just is unacceptable given the resources they have.
1: Yeah, I understand that. And I would look to two ways, Neil, to upgrade this team. To me, the days of going out there and giving out the six, the seven, the eight-year contracts they don't work. Historically, look at them. They do not work. So the way to build the roster, I would look for versatile players who can play different positions. I'd call Tampa Bay tomorrow, see what they want for somebody like Ben Zobrist, the guy who can play all over. Guys, going to play every day. Because look at it, you know, nobody hits 40 home runs anymore. Nobody hits 300 anymore. You want to have guys out there who can play every day and who can at least give you consistent offensive performance. The Yankees, forget about big-time offense performance. They didn't get any sort of consistency from any of their guys. And I think they're hoping that Prado and if they bring back Hedley, they can provide that sort of thing. And the other thing I would look to do, you mentioned Scherzer and Leicester. I'd love to have one of those two guys. But I'll take it a step further. Forget about them for a minute. Why did the Kansas City Royals get to the World Series last year? They had the best seven, eight, nine All-Major League Baseball. When they had a lead after six innings, the game was over. Yankees have the chances. I think they're making a monumental mistake if they let David Robertson walk out the door. I am paying him. The Yankees have the money. They have the resources. I don't care if he ends up getting moved later on. You want to make the chances of the closer. Why mess with a good thing? Batansas in the eighth, Robertson in the ninth, and I would make a call to the agent of Andrew Miller, who to me was the best left handed reliever in all Major League Baseball last season. If you could put a bullpen together of Miller, Batansas, and Robertson, that's as good as it gets. And if you have a lead after six innings deal, you don't even have to score runs. Game's going to be over.
0: I agree, and I think. This Robertson thing seems to be something that's happened throughout the Cashman era, you know, or tenure as GM, and that's the fact that... When his own players become free agents, they nickel and dime them. Whereas he'll go out and give somebody, you know, he'll go out and put up $20 million posting fees for Keiagawa. He'll give everyone else's starters sixty, eighty $80 million deals. But when it comes to his own guy who should have been taken care of before it ever got to this point, they just don't do it. And now if Robertson walks away, they're screwed because you don't, guys who succeed in the bullpen in New York are so far and few between. And guys who succeed in the bullpen consistently year after year are just a rarity to begin with. I mean, would, no one would be surprised if next year the Royals 7 9 guys went out and all sucked and all had four ERAs because that's the way things go for relief pitchers. It's a year-to-year thing, and the Yankees were fortunate to have Mariano for so long, and they're fortunate that Robert's been, Robertson's been great for his six years here. But... They're playing, they're gambling way too much here with this bullpen thing, and I know that they've tried to upgrade their arms through a couple trades here now in the offseason. They got rid of Cervelli for a guy, um, and, and they've got these guys who, you know, you hear great things. They all throw gas. They have control issues. Well, it, you know, you can't teach the gas, obviously. You hope you could teach the control issues, but there's no guarantee that those will go away, and Cashman through anything during his time here is shown that he doesn't know much or, or doesn't, you know, always make the greatest deal when it comes to pitching. And you go back a few years, you know, the Clippard for Al Albedejo, uh trade, which in hindsight is a, is a fucking disaster. And when oh, it comes yeah. to starters... That's made- got
1: to be on his bottom five list. Is oh, that his worst trade you say he's
0: made? Easily. that's I mean, that's, that's horrific when you go back and look at it. So to trust that he's making these moves and upgrading the bullpen, we don't really know that. We don't... We don't know what these guys are going to be until they finally get here. And maybe they'll turn out great, and, you know, I'll eat my words about him, you know, making these minor deals in the offseason. But when you have a proven commodity like David Robertson, who's only been here, only knows New York, you know, there is no reason it should have ever got to this point. This whole thing where we don't extend contracts that are still, you know, uh, you know going on is just the dumbest thing ever, and it's costing the Yankees. It cost them you know with Cano because they waited till he became free agent, even though he turned down their supposed offer the first time, and it's costing him here with Robertson. If they let him go, the bullpen, which could have been one of the you know solid things going into the season with those two, is just going to become yet another question mark for a team that already has too many.
1: I agree, and the last thing you want to have to do the Yankees is who is your eighth inning guy? That was the question we had on issue, Neil. Let's be fair. You didn't know what Dylan Batances was going to give you. He ended up being an absolute stud. And I think if given the opportunity to close, will Batances do a good job? Yes. But is it a guarantee? No. The idea you can expect him to be Mariano Rivera, part two, is incredibly unfair. Incredibly unfair. So I would give him another year. What if again in the setup, Paul? And what's the worst thing in the world that could happen? The Yankees decide in a year or two, we're going to flip-flop David Robertson and down to the who cares at that point. Hey, David Robertson, don't leave yourself short, handed out there in the bullpen. And I know you know this, you Neil. Know, I don't want to be going out to games next year with Adam Warren and Sean Kelly pitching the eighth inning. Because that was driving me
0: <laughs> Well, Well, the problem with that is that, one, is that Joe Girardi does not trust relievers until... He's seen something from them for months. Like, when you go back to earlier in this year, I mean, Delan Batanzas was just like, he was coming in like the fifth inning because even though he had this stuff, he he would, he kept striking everyone out. He still hadn't pitched for Girardi the way Kelly and Warren had. So now you're going into this year, and say Robertson signs somewhere else. So you're going to have Batanzas coming back. You know Warren Kelly; those are the only guys under Girardi that he's seen. All these new guys, even if they are better relievers than those, they're not going to get the opportunity to to prove themselves in an eighth, ninth inning role, or even the seventh inning until Girardi sees them till you know May or June because that's the way he acts. So you're just putting yourselves in a terrible, terrible spot. I I just don't get what they're doing here. And if professional sports, whether it's baseball, you know, football, hockey. Every team that wins a championship, everyone's going to try to copy the way that they got there won a championship. And when it comes to you know both the Giants and the Royals, they both had great bullpens. And if that's the way you're going to build your team, you have a great bullpen already. Why would you toy with it, especially if you know you have a lot of question marks with your rotation and your lineup and might have those question marks for a few years, at least lock down the bullpen now so that that's not another question mark. I mean, this whole thing is just blowing my mind, and it's it's like – Robertson's out there every day. Who knows who he's talking to or what kind of deals he's getting. Why why is he not already a Yankee for next year and the next four years after it?
1: Very fair, Neil. So if I could go about this offseason if I'm Brian Cashman, I'm trying to add a versatile player, a guy who can play first base, a guy who can play the outfield. I don't need an everyday player necessarily, but a guy who can be a legitimate backup for Teixeira is something this team needs. A guy who can play the outfield that need be. I would have no issue, for example, if the Yankees decided to sign Michael Morse. I think that'd be a nice fit. Guy's got some pop. Guy can contribute. That would not be a bad move for the Yankees. I believe he's a free agent. I'd look to bring in one of those pitchers if you can. I'd look to Lester and Scherzer. But if, let's say, that doesn't work out, then you can re-sign Brandon McCarthy. Or you can maybe see if James... I'm not a big James Shields fan. He's stiff in the postseason. Don't get me wrong. But if the price comes down on him... Then, you realize there's some value. I wouldn't have an issue bringing in James Shields. He's an innings beater and he can anchor your rotation. But more importantly, make sure that bullpen is solidified. Make sure Robertson is re-signed. And call Andrew Miller. I'm telling you, Neil. How great would a Yankee bullpen look going into next year if you had Miller, Patances, and Robertson?
0: Well, I'm all for that. And I think that that's, you know, if they get Miller, but they don't get Robertson, they still they still mess it up. They need to get both of them.
1: I agree. I don't want to get one and not to go, well, if they bring back I I I'll have a bigger issue, Neil, yeah if they you don't bring back let Robertson. Robertson walk. Yeah, I And agree. They I, suck. I, I want Miller, don't get me wrong, but if you're giving me a choice, I'd rather have Robertson because of his ability to get it done in New York.
0: Yeah, and I think that when you if you if Robertson leaves and they get Miller and they have Miller Batanzas, that's that's not good enough. And the thing with Batanzas, and you know, I want to knock on wood while I'm saying this, but how many people that throw as hard as Dylan Batanzas don't end up missing a season at some point in their career? So I feel like if you're banking on him to be your closer or be uh, a commodity for an entire you know six month season every year of his career, however long that lasts, um, it just seems like the odds are against him that at some point he's going to be on the shelf. Which you know it's I feel terrible saying it, but that's that's the way it goes for seemingly every reliever that throws hard.
1: It is. It's unfortunate. You saw it with Matt Harvey. You saw it with Masahiro Tanaka, and hopefully he'll be good to go next year. You saw it with Jose Fernandez. You don't want to jinx these guys, but the reality is, Daniel, yeah, you're a young pitcher. You throw 98. You throw the wicked stuff. You just hope and pray, and I feel with like a Tommy Johnson scenario because that's like the worst not there, and that's why the Yankees have been trying to rehab Masahiro Tanaka, and I can't blame Tanaka for not wanting to have surgery, even though, listen, when push comes to shove, it may be an inevitable conclusion.
0: No, I think, and that's a scary thing, is that, you know, with Lester, Scherzer still out there, and and once one of them goes, you know, obviously everything will fall, in probably a week after that, with the other one, and Shields, and, and all the free agent pitching, but that's, it's, that's the scariest thing, is this rotation, I mean, Michael Pineda right now, is probably your healthiest starter, and here's a guy who's... He, he's pitched like half of a season this year, not even, and that's his first season in three years. So, I mean, if he's your healthiest starter going into opening day or the guy you could trust the most, I mean, that that's, that's a big issue here.
1: Major issue. And that's why going into the year, my enthusiasm for the Yankees is minimal. I'll be the first to tell you that, Neil. It is very <laughs> this is, minimal. This is terrible. Hey, listen to you. could be it's, it's bad news. Rangers better have a deep Stanley with run, buddy.
0: I <laughs> know. They they really better. But uh, the, the other thing we haven't even touched on is now for, you know, almost nine months the Yankees have known that in 2015 they needed a, a shortstop for the first time in 20 years. And I'm just waiting to go on Twitter and see that Starling Castro or Troy Tulewitzki or someone got traded somewhere other than the Yankees because that will just put me over the edge. I mean, I don't know what their plan is. But if their plan's Brendan Ryan – you're not going to see me out in uh, Section 203 one single time this year.
1: I'm going to be honest with you. You know, you know what it may end up being? Steven Drew part two. As much That's, as that, well, that pains just, me to that say. That is bad.
0: I, think uh, I'd I'd give, bad. I think I'd give Swisher I'd rather see, $80 million I, right now rather than a seat. Oh, what Drew were your back. thoughts
1: on this? I forgot to mention this to you. Did you see the report oh, about three it. weeks ago? I wanted to vomit in my mouth. <laughs> if the Yankees would have brought Swisher back, that would have been it. And if the Yankees are listening to this podcast, if you bring Swisher back, I am not renewing. You can take that to the bank.
0: <laughs> I I just I mean that'll that'll be the cherry on top if that can, if they can continue the offseason like say Robertson leaves, Steven Drew or Brendan Ryan's a shortstop, and then somehow they you know trade bad contract for bad or they just eat Swisher's money just to bring him back. I mean that'll be it. I mean I might just I might check out you know the Derek Jeter era is over. Our childhood baseball era is over. I might just check out. That that might just be it for me in baseball.
1: Rock bottom, baby. Rock bottom.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you look around this league, and certainly we started this conversation with the Red Sox and their free agent moves, but their rotation is, I mean, at least ours, we still have names, and if they're healthy, they're good. They don't have anything. I mean, they're just banking on, you know, building this their lineup up and uh, sort of going the Yankees, you know, 2004 to 2008 strategy. But when it comes to the Yankees, this this lineup, I mean, you look around the infield, and when you know when Prado is your best hitter, your best, most reliable, consistent source of offense, uh, that's that's a really big problem. And I don't know, I don't know that there's really a fix out there that just dollars can take care of. It seems like they're going to have to make trades and do something. But uh, you know, obviously, thankfully the season's not starting like next Monday, and we still have a few months to sort this out. But things aren't going well, you know, right now, and. This is about the time, the, the weeks leading up to Christmas, that the Yankees put the pedal to the metal, and that's where the names start to fall. So I hope we really do get something here between now and the next three weeks.
1: Yes, you know, hopefully we're talking about a month and we feel better about this Yankee team, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> well, if you right now had one move that they could make uh, outside of Robertson, what would
1: it be? Great question. Andrew Miller.
0: Wow. Even over like Lester or Scherzer.
1: I want that bullpen solidified, Neil. I'm telling you, can make all the difference in the world.
0: <laughs> I want so Lester... You can, find,
1: you can find starting pitching. Look last year. The Yankees with Shane Green and some of the guys that were running out there were right there, and they started pitching without the problem.
0: No, that's that's a good point. I just I just want Lester, not because, you know, obviously... You want to
1: stick... Yeah, let's be honest. You, you want to stick it to it him. You want to stick it to the Red Sox. No, I
0: do want that, but I mean, he's also... I mean, what is he, 30 years old? He's a lefty. He, I mean... If Sabathia is not pitching, they don't have a le- You know, they don't have a lefty. They they do need a lefty in the rotation, and it, it, it's the obviously the added incentive of sticking it to the Red Sox and their fans. But um, I would take Lester over Scherzer.
1: Yeah, I would too. But I have a funny feeling. Neil. If they're gonna make a push, it's gonna be for Max Scherzer. Just call call it a hunch, call it whatever you want. I, I just have a funny feeling that's gonna be the guy they go after.
0: And if uh, yeah, and if the Red Sox somehow sign Lester after trading
1: him away... Oh, know. I'm going to be so ticked off about that. That would really bother me. I feel like they really to bo- be like... A, but a, I feel like Lester is not going to have the spine to want to go back there. Kind of like I told I you know. so tightly. I feel thing. like he's...
0: I, I just get this feeling like every time his name's brought up, they're linked to it, and certainly that's going to be the case because he was there for so long. But
1: but why wouldn't he have signed there already if he's going back to the Red Sox? Wouldn't I just it be as simple as one low, 2, I just
0: see Keith... I mean, if they've lowballed him to this point that he hasn't signed anywhere and they, lo- they gave him, like, four years, $70 million last year, which is just a joke.
1: Which was um, an absolute disgrace. Yeah, I think I mean, he's ended up back with the Cubs. <laughs>
0: if, if, for him being, if, if granted, you know, what he's done for that organization, you know, how he's been for them, for them to offer 470 just that alone should make him never want to go back there. So if he does go back there, that's embarrassing for him.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. And if I'm John Lester, that's the last place I'm looking to go. I think the Cubs make perfect sense for him. He's won two World Series championships. He's got nothing to prove as far as that goes. He can go to Chicago, anchor that staff, and let's be fair, you know, with Madden running the team, with Dio Epstein running the team, they're gonna be good real soon. They got some talented young players.
0: Well, I actually wanted to bring that up, but my last thing before that is if you if the Red Sox do get Lester, I think then the Yankees. I think then it's like the Cashman's just out of the way. I think ownership just goes and fucking goes nuts, and you've got like yeah, you. got
1: I would agree, and I, I think already because of the fact that the Red Sox brought in Sandoval and Haley Ramirez, it makes it more likely that the Yankees will make a push for one of these pitchers.
0: Yeah, because you can't. Even if you know, even if that, even if it doesn't work out for the Red Sox, the fact that they're doing this and they're the you know they're the ones generating the news, they're the team that's actually improving. Because I think the number one thing to look at is that since game 162, the Yankees have gotten worse than they were, and they were really bad.
1: For sure. And listen, you do not want to see the Red Sox doing well. You know full well it bothered the Yankees last year or two years ago when they won the World Series. And I can guarantee you that if they're going out there and making big moves once again. They are going to be full tilt, let's do something just to do something, like they did last year with Ellsbury, McCann, Panaka, what have you.
0: Well, if I could have seen uh, into the future here from where we were, you know, two, three years ago, four years ago doing the podcast, and I could have seen what the state of the Yankees would become, I never would have opposed you on the uh, uh, five-playoff format. Five team playoff. Yeah, format.
1: seriously. And chew on the nugget, Neil. That since they've instituted the second law card, the Yankees have missed the playoffs back to back years.
0: <laughs> and the funniest thing is that that fifth spot was their only entrance in both times.
1: Unreal, dude. Can't but, make it up.
0: But the thing I was gonna say with the Madden thing when you brought him up is that you have all these fan bases now because of this. The five uh, team playoff format. You've got like the Mets and their young pitching, and now all Mets fans think that they're they're gonna be like come the Braves of the '90s and the Cubs fans because they have you know, Theo and Jed and all these young hitters, and now they got Madden, even though they're still not pitching. All these you know, bottom feeders for our entire lives, all of a sudden they have this renewed hope that they could contend.
1: Dude, the Kansas City Royals were one game away from winning the World Series last year. Just think about that for a moment. Did you ever <laughs> think you'd see a scenario where the Royals were in the World Series?
0: I didn't, and when you go back to the situation they were in, you know, the late innings of that wild card game, um, that's just insane to think about.
1: Can't make it up, bro. You really can't.
0: All right, John. Well, we've got a long ways to go here. It's only the beginning of December. And, uh, you know, any minute right now the Yankees could drop some great news on us and and help our chances for next season. But uh, we'll definitely talk um, around the holidays. I'm sure they'll, you know, give us a December 23rd signing like they did, uh, you know, have done in the past. And uh, we'll talk again. I hope your Dolphins, you know, I hope they get in for your sake because, like you said, they're they're a tough matchup for the Patriots, a good way to knock them out. Uh, maybe they'll steal that win at the end of the season. But good luck to you and the Dolphins, and, and we'll talk again as this offseason progresses.
1: Bingo. That's what I'm rooting for, under the Christmas tree. Give me a nice Dolphin postseason appearance and give me a nice Yankee present under the Christmas tree. I'll <laughs> sign for both Neil.
0: you. All right, John. Thanks again.
1: All right, brother. You got it, man.